Welcome back. Welcome back, one and all, to The Missing Wires. My name is Alex. Jose is here, too. Hello, Jose. Thank you so much for having me back today, Alex. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Today, the topic of conversation is going to be suffering. Kind of going to go over the beauty of suffering. The value that can be derived from it. I think we can also possibly touch on the horrors of suffering. <laughs> um, and I'm sure we'll kind of mosey into some other facets of suffering that we can't quite foresee right now. Yeah. Oh, we're moseying. Oh, we're moseying. Me and Jose have been known to mosey. I love good mosey. Yeah. Sometimes people call me mosey instead of hosey. Yeah, Mose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I feel like when I think of that word, suffering, I have like two kind of immediate things that come to mind. One of them being like very, very, you know, blatant and striking loss yeah just a strike to the heart um and that can be the death of somebody obviously um but it can also be like you know something else right like maybe a, a friendship ending yeah or or somebody saying something to you can cause like a, a very very deep cut um kind of thing stubbing your toe that's a big one for me <laughs> <laughs> these damn tables <laughs> like on a hard metal surface Ugh. Like something you walk by yeah, regularly. Like, like a table with mm -hmm. metal legs on yeah. it. And yeah. you know where it is. Yeah, but and you're just being careless. Yeah, absolutely un careless. Unintentional. Unintentional suffering of carelessness. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, and then the other, outside of that really strong and intense, sharp suffering from a, from a loss of some kind. Um, I also kind of think of daily daily small um suffering and uh i think that i kind of like tie in with some buddhist philosophies around suffering what about you a lot of the same for me i think suffering is a it's an interesting word i think it can be kind of one of those words that maybe throws people off now and then in the same way that you know calling someone a snowflake or uh, I don't know, a right wing or anything like that. Like, it, it's obviously not the same as those words, but taken out of context, someone could be like, oh, you mean like absolute suffering? Like, like children starving and, and all this stuff. But it, it, for me, it's more of just an overarching thing, whether it's light emotional suffering or existential suffering and that and that's a lot of the stuff that it talks about in buddhism yeah. is like all the different forms of suffering whether yeah. it's like internal external physical existential and i look at it in in that type of way where it's um how do i deal with these different types of suffering you know and some of them i deal with really well others i kind of get in into moments of dwelling with where I, I don't deal with it so well. And I think the, I was talking to yesterday actually about a few different things and I'll just call him my friend or cousin for now. Cause I don't know if he actually wants me to name drop him, but we talked about some Buddhism stuff and some su suffering and just kind of our upbringing with religion in general and how we grew up in Christian homes and stuff like that. And we saw and learned a lot about Christianity through going to church as kids and, and seeing like how, okay, one of the first things you learn is like, don't judge, don't do these things. And then we immediately like see a lot of our close family members and friends who follow Christianity just doing all of these things right. and causing suffering, causing a lot of it. Like 
to those around them, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. And that kind of turned me off to religion from a young age. Yeah. And just like, okay, I'm not into that. Like, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not down. Yeah. Even the people showing up at my door turned me off to religion before I even really understood. Absolutely. I like, I literally knew only enough to as what my mom would say. Yeah. Who are these people at the door? Yeah, <laughs> she, totally. She's like, oh, you know, those are just like, they're Jehovah's Witness or, yeah. oh, those are Mormon people and like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're here to like, essentially try to tell us about the religion and, and totally. try to get us to come to their church and like, yeah. get involved. Uh, even, so yeah, even that was like turning me off. Totally. Yeah. And you take it a step deeper and you see the dude on the corner downtown telling everybody that they're going to hell. Yes. Like that. Oh, yeah. When I was in my teens, I was seeing that and that really turned me off. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so. You're like, what do you do? So this dude is not representing Christianity very well, in my no. opinion, no. and telling people that they're just going to hell. Like, that's not going to help anybody. Yeah. At all. And isn't that one of the main rules of Christianity? It's like you, like only God is supposed to be the judging yeah, person. Exactly. Or the judging. I, I think that's something that's widely overlooked. It's so, like, but it's used so frequently yeah, too. Absolutely. Like, you know, you see the only God can judge me type of like, mm-hmm. like, like phrases. People use them in like status is when they're like, yep. when they're feeling are when they're feeling like they're being judged or targeted about something. People yeah. get that as, as a tattoo a lot. Well, people, I, I think it's, it must be human nature of some kind to, take whatever religion that you're following or God you're worshiping and turning it into a, something that suits you, you know, it's very common in any religion that I've seen. It's like, okay, well I'm just taking all these principles and taking this God and having him serve me rather than like me trying to better myself and follow a path. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Like, especially being somebody who doesn't subscribe to one religion at all, but I consider myself to be spiritual somewhat. Yeah, same. And I think that there's, I haven't been overly exposed to many religions. I've delved deeper into some religions than I have other ones. Like I've read more about Buddhism than I have about Christianity, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, But even the small bits that I have read within like Christianity and like, right, a lot of them have like really similar core messages, especially um, in those monotheistic religions, like Christianity. Catholicism and all that. It's like they have like pretty much the same type of things, right? It's like don't steal and don't cheat, and like yeah, don't hurt people and don't judge people and all this jazz. And it's like, where the fuck? <laughs> Why is it getting so twisted? You know, it's yeah. like, and so it's interesting, like to be somebody who feels like I can pull things from multiple different places. Mm-hmm. And to know that there's somebody following one thing devoutly who might, like, find a problem with that. They might, like, think that that's blasphemous or something. Right. And then to consider that it's, like, what you're, what you're saying right now is that everybody, even if they're subscribing to one religion, is essentially doing that no matter what. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're forming your own dogma with, yeah. with this text that you're using, whether it's one specific text that you think is the above all, the best and most holy text— or if you're pulling text from a bunch of different places, that like, like that process is not that much different. Like you're creating your own dogma from something, even when you think that you're a follower. Like right, yeah. You know, like I, I'd say, like I, I've heard that, and I, I haven't. I like I said, I'm haven't been exposed to Christianity enough to really know that if this is the core, the core um, pathway of Christianity and Christians. But I've heard that it's the goal is to be more Christ-like and to be as like Christ as possible. Right. Um, and so with that, it's like, man, that's the, isn't that the whole reason for following these fucking, mm-hmm. these commandments and these like, these lessons that were bestowed upon us mm-hmm. from the living of Christ, like, and what he did as, yeah. a, as a human or something like well, that. Or there's the classic, what would Jesus do thing? Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. What would Jesus do? Like. I'm like, man, why does this get all twisted up? And people, oh. people, but you know, like you're saying, they people cherry pick things and mm-hmm. form their own dogma to suit their needs. And yeah. if somebody wants to use their dogma and use a holy text and take passages from it to go out in the corner and tell other people that they're going to burn and be damned to years of torment, mm-hmm. 
an, or an eternity of torment, <laughs> maybe in right. the, in some cases, um, because they're because they don't follow their that book. Yeah, like, and in some cases, I've seen those people like yell at other people who are Christians. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> and it's it just gets, well because they're not they're not the right kind of Christian. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. It's it just gets baffling at some yeah, point. It is. That's why I like took a step back from early on in my in my teens and I was like, okay. Like I do feel some spiritual nature in this world through my own experiences, through experiences with others. And to me, it all boils down to like love and communication and compassion and just having some self-awareness mm. and treating everyone like they're humans yeah. and like obviously as it's been said millions of times how you want to be treated as well yeah and some of us have really terrible upbringings and we start to treat ourselves really badly and then we're like okay well i maybe consciously or subconsciously treat myself really poorly so that's how I'm also going to treat others because that's how I want to be treated, whether it's whether that's a conscious acknowledgement or not. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm going to spread suffering then. And, and then this parts of this religion like fit that. So yeah. I'm just going to like roll with that and I'm going to judge others. I'm going to put people down. Yeah. Gonna, it's like, no, like take a step back. Look at everything with love. Treat yourself with love. The sinners of this world. Yeah. They need to be reminded. <laughs> <laughs> Repent or die. That's awesome. Thank you. No, you're good. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah, so Emily's reading a book right now that's like a lot of what we're talking about, apparently. Really cool. Very relevant. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I I feel you. I I had the same reaction to um all of that very early. Mm. Um religion never it never made sense to me when I was young, especially because my parents were not involved in any religion. Like we like you know, zero right? Like but they also are both incredible humans, like very decent people. So it's like, I learned how to be a good person and have integrity and care about other people and be kind and like all this stuff, like without religion. And then it's interesting that there's like a, a, some demographic out there that thinks with like, oh, well, if you don't have a structure of morality, ethics and modality like you're you're fucked like you're gonna be like you're gonna succumb to the devil and like the temptations of the world are gonna get to you and i think in some people's eyes uh, that's probably true for me you know right i'm a i'm a fornicating drug user <laughs> so it's like alex you better repent i need to repent immediately right i need to ask for forgiveness for for indulging <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not anybody's business, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. between you and whatever you're doing, you know? Yeah. That's the thing is like, as soon as I start poking my thoughts and opinions into other people's business, yeah. then I'm pointing at something other than myself. And, and then I'm losing track of myself, you know? Where right. am I at? Where am I at with my, who I want to be and where I want to be? and what i'm okay with doing and not doing and what other people do like maybe i can help other people like that's one of the goals of this podcast right. just help others and and maybe i can get some some feedback too and like get a few few emails here and there and, and have conversations with other people and yeah and they can more communication yeah more communication they can open my mind a bit but you know, it's like, don't, don't throw stones from a glass house. And as far as I'm concerned, every single human in this world lives in a glass house. So it's like, let's help, let's help make each other's houses a little bit stronger. Yeah. You know? Kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, especially like 
it's so interesting that that you know we have this idea that religion is this thing that's kind of it's over here it's like we have society and culture mm-hmm. and then there's religion over here yeah but then there's like there's all these places where it where it inter- intermingles and stuff right where it's like why is it you know super big news if like so and so broke up or so and so is using drugs yeah and like like why is that a news headline right what like what you know it's like it's like yeah of course like i understand like right like what sells sells yeah for sure and we have that and like part of it is like i don't know some weird human demand for gossip and entertainment and like Mm -hmm. maybe that's because we're all like sitting inside fucking houses and yeah like you know outside of work like people suffer with finding direction and meaning Mm -hmm. um in these this type of society that we have like not everybody not saying that that's a plague that's like necessarily consistent amongst everybody but there's definitely quite a few people that i've talked to that suffer with that and even i suffer with that when i feel like even in the midst of having purpose i'm like i'll I'll fucking have times where i kind of like i'm like what am i doing (laughs) what am i even doing like do i do i care do i care i'm like what you know i'm like kind of like even in the midst of having and feeling like i'm fueled by something i can Mm -hmm. i can still be like damn this is kind of a lot like do i even want to be doing this yeah (laughs) Yeah. and uh and i kind of have to re-remind myself of like certain philosophies or goals that i have and or ideas of of like you know it's kind of i've always struggled like we talked about before in a different conversation that um like long-term project type things and long-term thinking has never been a big uh strong suit for me i just like and even with like having a parent who was like who would be telling me, oh, think about the future, think about the future. I never really, you know, knew how to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe maybe there is like a, you know, a way to teach people how to think about the future and how to be less like, um, I'm not really sure exactly what it is. I, I was kind of reading, I, it was actually within a, the, the sleep study that I was telling you about mm-hmm. that was comparing different groups of um, different sleep values for their mental acuity. Um, just went out the window sleep study values well while you're picking up your brain off the floor yeah it's i think similar to like you said things that we've talked about but i think the best way to teach that is to teach compounding interest and compounding gains and stuff like that just doing one tiny thing every single day definitely and and if i had been shown that from a child like okay like you can pick up one stick you know a day 10 sticks a day whatever and that may not seem like a big deal to you right i'm like yeah "Yeah, whatever like i pick up sticks all the time and i play with them mom i like going i hit trees with sticks and whatnot like that's what i do i'm a little kid yeah and she's like yeah but like if you did this every day for a year you'd have an entire house built out of sticks. Yeah. And I'd be like, whoa. Whoa. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. You you helped me get my brain off the floor too with that little that little ditty. No problem. Um, but they were saying that within the sleep study that because the people who were sleeping like five to six hours, it was like a just a tiny bit less than what you should mm-hmm. be getting that the decline was gradual enough that they didn't notice any decrease personally. They didn't notice within themselves Mm -hmm. their mental acuity decreasing. But on paper, it was absolutely decreasing. And Mm -hmm. over a period of two weeks, it had decreased to the point so that they were at the same mental acuity as somebody who hadn't slept for over 48 hours. Yeah. And what they hadn't, but the right, like if you've ever stayed up for 48 hours or more, you like tend to notice, unless you're on math or something, you tend to notice the effects. Yeah. Um, pretty drastically at least i do like it fucks me up um and so they kind of were talking about how if a change like takes place gradually and over time that you're much less likely to notice and they kind of talked about and theorized that for humans it's hard to really really truly remember how you were feeling Mm -hmm. like even beyond the day that you're in like 
if you've gone to sleep or something, or even just like after a certain amount of time, like it's hard to actually put yourself into the shoes that you were in like um, two days ago or three days ago and to like really envision how you were feeling. Like you can use, like you can be like, oh, I was crying a lot on this day and I was mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, you can like use words to describe what it was like, but like to really put yourself back in those shoes that it was very hard. And so like, and then that was why we didn't notice oh, well, we had a change of 25 to 30% over three days. Yeah. But that was not quick enough for us to be like, oh, dang, that's a drastic change. Yeah. It was gradual enough that we're like, yeah, no, it seems like I feel the same. I feel fine. I'm yeah. good. You know, I was like, damn, that's super interesting, man. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, like cool in like a whoa way. Like, right? damn, like, I need to take take stuff a bit more seriously. Yeah. But and, it also kind of makes sense, right? Like yeah. imagine if you were, you could be vividly wrapped up in the, emotion that you had three days ago mm -hmm. in the same exact way mm -hmm. like suddenly like and i know that that can happen right like especially like during a period of grief right like yeah you lose somebody and then it's like you have what like i mean there's really no time limit on it right like i mean i'd say when grief when the loss first happens it's like very frequent that these moments happen where it's like suddenly i'm fucking experiencing a very intense emotion and yep. i'm crying um and that those get a little bit less frequent the more mm -hmm. time goes by but they still happen and it still yep. actually comes back at the same intensity yeah for very brief periods of time um and uh super interesting yeah. like but imagine if that was happening every single day and you were constantly like getting thrown into the same exact like emotional state that you right. were previously like that would probably be pretty jarring it kind of makes sense it would that be we, that we have trouble accessing that so yeah. vividly at least for sure it reminds me of uh something sam told me once after nathan died yeah and i don't know if he read it in a book or where it came from but it was imagine a box and you have a button in that box and there's a a ball bouncing around in that box and every time that ball hits that button it's like that that grief and that loss hmm. gets triggered and you're like crying yeah. and not having a good time and you're okay. sad and you're missing this person but then over time that box keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah so it's like the loss is always still there that right. emotion is always there the button never leaves but the box gets bigger and to me like that really helped me at the time yeah because it was awesome. like okay like time doesn't heal the wound the yeah. wound is always there but the box gets bigger yeah and thus the button gets hit less frequently interesting i really like that i do too and i do want to link that um sleep study in the in the episode when we post i'd be stoked to find that yes yeah yeah okay so, i'll i'll uh take that up yeah we'll convene after yeah yeah man but it's really interesting hmm. yeah another solid example of of compounding interest and and just how hard of a time humans have to even wrap their brain around the idea of it. And that's why, yeah. you know, financial advisors are so important because they're looking at this stuff every day. Yeah. They're like, okay, you start when you're 30 years old, maxing out your Roth IRA. This is a good idea for anyone who's able to do it. And by the time you're 60, you'll have over a million dollars, you know, um, given the fact that an IRA, a Roth IRA, usually has anywhere between 4 and 8%. And that's probably like a little bit on the low end, a little bit on the high end yeah. um, of compounding interest. But if you're maxing it out every year and you're getting those gains and then you're all of a sudden 60 years old, it's like, whoa, like yeah, that adds up. That's a lot of money. It's like, a lot of money. So something to think about, put in, put compounding interest into your regular everyday life of like, okay, I'm going to spend 10, 10 minutes playing piano every day. Yeah. Like eventually I'm going to be the best piano player in the world. Maybe not, but you're going to be a lot better than you were a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Because a year ago you didn't even know how to play piano. 10 minutes a day on something is fucking beautiful. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It is beautiful. Even even exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I I am somebody who struggles with, you know, like we've talked about before, keeping a regular exercise routine. And I've found that like 
just starting a timer for 15 minutes and doing like a bunch of exercises mm-hmm. and i've like i've started to streamline it a little bit more so that i'm focusing on like a specific thing i try right. to do like a lot of arm related things in the same day but i do this all just in my house right like yeah um it's like arm related things in the same day and then i try to work do a bunch of ab related things in the same day right and try mm-hmm. to like, try to actually like structure it a little tiny bit um but not too much because the main thing for me is just actually getting a little bit of it done yeah. and like doing some exercise for sure um and so that like 10 to 15 minutes and just starting the timer and being like okay i'm just gonna do like jumping jacks push-ups squats and like i'm just gonna like you know, mm-hmm. bust out some exercises really get my heart rate going like really try to like get myself sweating um and then it's like boom the timer goes off it's like that was barely any time right like 15 minutes is hardly any time mm-hmm. um but every time i go to do exercise now i'm like i actually feel stronger i feel like when i go to do push-ups i'm like oh like i feel like i do push-ups now because yeah. I've been doing them like every day, even if it's only for five minutes, like that I'm doing pushups, like mm-hmm. I'm still doing them five minutes a day. So, which feels awesome, right? Which is like, it's like, yeah, like if I wasn't doing them at all, it's like, well, versus that, I've gotten now 35 minutes a week that yeah. I've been doing pushups 35 minutes a week. Yeah. And can you imagine doing pushups for 35 minutes straight? Whew. Absolutely not. But if you think Rough. about like, man, if I did 35 minutes of pushups, I would be so freaking strong. Yeah. I would be really the strongest ripped. person in this town I'd be ripped. <laughs> the strongest person in the town yeah and but you break that up and it's like oh okay yeah and then you're probably wondering like well alex how does how does this relate to suffering like, <laughs> it's like okay well i wasn't really wondering that alex i was wondering that and i was like okay 35 minutes of push-ups that sounds like a lot of suffering yeah sounds like a tremendous amount of suffering but then you think like okay we lost one of our closest friends huh. that was way more suffering than 35 minutes of push-ups <laughs> way more way more so way more if i got through that i can get through 35 minutes yeah. of push-ups maybe and that's i mean probably you know i mean even if you're doing a push-up a minute at least mentally end, yeah. you know like you're true you're doing a push-up a minute by the end and you're like, okay, like I can do this. I can do one more push-up this minute. I can like, I can just lay here on the ground. I can give it some rest, but I'm going to get that last push-up, you know? True. And I guess that's how, you know, I kind of tie it all into place personally. It's everything is suffering in some way. And it's, it's not suffering in like the exact way that you might think of it, but in the way that it's like, I've been through this, which means I can do this. Yeah. And even if you're, you build up everything in your life to be this mountain of like, wow, that's the mountain that I've already climbed. Yeah. You got a couple of hills in front of you and maybe you're stressed out. You're like, okay, this is my first DJ show that I'm going to be doing in front of a live audience. Right. Like that's a little hill in comparison to the mountain behind me. Like I can do this. Yeah. It's going to be fine. <laughs> going to knock it out. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the kind of fear of suffering ends up adding more suffering because then we start to we start to get upset that we're not even doing the thing that we want to do. Then we're upset anyway, and we're we're suffering anyway. Instead of suffering through the thing, we're suffering in a different way. Compounding interest. Compounding suffering. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it adds up. You don't suffer through certain things and you don't face your suffering, then it adds up and it becomes too much. Yeah. Too much to bear, really. Um, so it's interesting. I, I, for me, and I try to encourage other people for this, but it doesn't, you know, everybody's got their tricks that work for them. Um, but for me, I guess I try to like really vividly hold on to the moments where I've, reached the other side of the mountain and or in a very literal sense reached the peak mm-hmm. and gotten to see the views yeah um i try to hold on to those moments really vividly so that i can remind myself anytime that i am i'm met with suffering or i'm i am uh, i'm aware that there's about to be a period of suffering if i choose to you know take certain steps and and uh, proceed with certain actions mm-hmm. So, 
keeping those things like vividly in my head helps me to kind of be like, all right, yeah, this thing, it's going to be tough, but the thing that's going to be on the other side is, is going to be fucking beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be so good, you know? Um, and I even think about that in terms of the more intense cases, like, like when Nate died, like it was Mm -hmm. like, I had moments of extreme, like just fucking gut wrenching sadness. Um, and I think that the only really alternative to that would have been to like shut myself off and try to like go full numb and full cold. Um, and for me and that, it was like the, the, and, and I actually like, this is part of the reason why I tend to feel like crying is great. Mm-hmm. Like, and even in the moments of crying, I, I tend to like smile and feel like thankful even for crying. Like, um, cause you know, the alternative is, is in my opinion, something that would not serve me very well and not mm-hmm. lead me anywhere that would be beneficial or constructive in any way. Right. So that's suffering through the tears and suffering through the, the true grief where you're really, you know, all the emotions are running wild, especially when it's very recent. It's a very like fresh wound. Um, and the emotions are running all over the place, you know, and you're getting flashes of memories with people. And then you're, you know, you might have little jabs of guilt flying in and, and like, or like moments of like, fuck, I like, I should have, I should have hung out more. I should have reached out more. X, Y, and Z, this, this, and that. Um, and it's like, yeah, suffering through that, I mean, gets me to a point where I can, I can actually talk about Nate and think about Nate and have a laugh about Nate. Yeah. And like, I don't have to like turn away and be like, we're not going to talk about Nate. Yeah. Like, don't bring up Nate Mm -hmm. because, you know, oh, because I haven't processed those emotions at all. And like, I don't want to be reminded that he's actually gone. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. like, I've been through it many times, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like in and out. Like, I had one really, really recently. Um, Me and Emily started talking about him. And then I think she asked me if Nate would like her. And I was like, I just like immediately started crying. I was like, yeah, yeah, he would like, you know. And it was fucking beautiful, man. Like it was very powerful. It was like a really, really big wave of grief kind of hit me. And then I was like, yeah. it's like, fuck, man. <laughs> Holy shit, you know? That's awesome. And uh and that's fucking sick. Like I would so like I feel like that's such a more serving way to kind of remember somebody, you know? And it's yeah. like like I don't if you know whoever dies like you know whatever whether it's my mom or it's like somebody who's like so important to me right like i don't want to fucking not tell stories about them yeah. like i don't want to sit around and be like nah no nah, i'm not going to i'm not going to tell you about them cuz i miss them yeah you know or something like that it's like no actually i'm in a position where if somebody asks me i'm very eager to tell them about yeah it. so it's like Going through that suffering is so fucking fire when you get to the other side because it's yeah. like even even and especially in those fucking very intense grief moments where it's like, holy fuck, this is like overwhelmingly powerful and I'm I'm so sad and I have so many emotions kind of s- circling around this this subject and this event. It's just you get to the other side and it's like, oh my god, cool, like. Yeah. Me and Jose can fucking crack a joke about Nate, like, and like have a laugh about Nate. Some really, really dark jokes. Some really dark jokes. Would, sometimes he would appreciate. Yeah, yeah, things he would appreciate. I even t- I was telling him about this. I was like, man, at his uh, at his funeral, or like when you know, like when we all with the big funeral event at the Laramont, um, and somebody's phone rang <laughs> during the thing and you were speaking at the time. That was Michael Stockman and he's the one who invited me to go mountain biking this morning. Nice, yeah. nice, dude. Yeah, okay. So yeah, their phone rings and it just gets kind of quiet and like, 
I think he he either got up and took he went out to take the call or he just turned off his phone, whoever his phone was ringing. And but and Jose had the microphone and was talking at the time when the phone rang. And uh it was at that point where Jose was just like they would have thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And everybody in the round table row just started fucking laughing, like yeah. through the tears. Like there was like our, you know, there was so many tears pouring, but it was like you saying that just in the midst of it and of us everybody just being like, Yep, yep, yep fucking Nate. Uh yep. <laughs> like, totally. You know, like that shit that's just beautiful. It's like so I think that that suffering, like and uh this actually kind of ties really well into um some of the kind of value that can be derived from from suffering and uh I guess I kind of it's put it's put down as like a resilience and I think like I, I like the word resilience I, I love the thought of being resilient in life like uh, I think that's that's beautiful right like I want to I want to be resilient yeah and I want everybody I love to feel resilient in life um but sometimes when I think of that word in relation to suffering it in a way makes me feel like it's saying resistant to suffering yeah like and that you're that you're you know suffering is not affecting you or something like that um and i don't and i don't know if that's the meaning that you get or if that's anything that comes to anybody else's mind when they hear the word resilient in relation to suffering but i don't want that to be the relation i want i want to exclude that if it is yeah. coming to mind for you because it's coming to mind for me um <clears throat> but i do like the idea of of gaining resilience through these through these suffering moments and i i think it gets kind of misconstrued as like oh yo like just the event is the thing that's going to build the resilience like mm -hmm. oh yeah like your friend dying that's going to make you stronger it's like i don't i think that's not you know i don't think that's the message that right needs to be like yeah not at all established i think it's more of the process of actually the personal side of suffering and less yeah. of the event because everybody had the event it was there and it's basically static on its own right like and it causes suffering and leads to suffering but the event itself is is just itself and it's like the event itself is not going to be the thing that gives you growth it might it might stimulate suffering but mm -hmm. it's not going to be like the event is not the thing it's really you dealing with your side of the event your personal attachment to the event, right? Like, and mm -hmm. that is where I think the resilience develops um, from really, really facing the suffering and, and um, becoming one with it, I guess, and, mm -hmm. and realizing that it's not something to be, A, it's not something that you should avoid. B, it's not something that you simply get through or get over, like you were saying with the button yeah. in the box. It's not that the button goes away. The box just gets bigger, right? But like, right. I feel like the box can only get bigger if you're you're going through it, right? And like, and you're, mm -hmm. you're being a good little farmer as a throwback being a to another good little episode. farmer, <laughs> fertilizing your soil. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's really beautiful, and I appreciate you opening up on all that. I think it's it's really cool, and even as my cousin and I were talking about last night, like you, you can forgive, you can go through all these motions and whatnot but it part of it is going through the motions you can't just yeah. be like oh i'm good or oh i forgive you it's yeah. like you have to go through the motions and it, it's not about becoming stronger i don't think anybody's friend dying makes them stronger i think it it causes a trigger in their life where they either decide to grow through it and use it as a tool for perspective and change and and insight yeah. or they ignore all of that and don't go through the motions and and i can't you know i can't even say that definitively it's like because everybody handles all these things differently yeah, everyone's process is going to look a little for sure look a little different and i don't want i don't want anybody to you know feel bad for trying to find their way through it because it's difficult it's it's absolutely difficult. Yeah. But for me, it was like really eye-opening to to be like, oh, okay, like this is what death looks like. 
because I'd kind of wondered my entire life of like, when am I going to have a friend die? Yeah. When am I going to have somebody really close to me die? Yeah. And after it happened, I'm like, man, I kind of wish I never wondered because it's, it's not something that I really wanted to find out about. No. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it's like you say, man, like I'm happy to talk to people about him. I'm happy to, to spread what he was to me on, you know, like yeah. paying it forward and all that <laughs> jazz. Because if I'm not willing to talk about it, then I'm pretty much, I'm snuffing my memories of him. Yeah. I'm snuffing any chance that anybody in the future can be affected by all the positivity that he brought to his friends and all the help and love that he pushed forward. And I'm like, I'm, I'm collecting all that that he gave to me and I'm holding it ransom. I'm keeping it to myself. And, I, and to me, that's not cool. You know, I want everybody to be able to experience him and everything that I got through him. And, and I think it's awesome that, you know, you've kind of come to that same conclusion, even though we've never really like probably gone too in depth about this with each other. I know that like, I guess I've always just kind of assumed that we're in, in the same wavelength on that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really beautiful. And I think even as you mentioned the, you know, how you're kind of smiling when you're crying about specific things and even in regards to Nathan dying, it's like, I, I totally get that. And I don't think that as many people I know would fully understand that, but I definitely do. And it's, for me, it's more of like getting to remember like, all the awesome things that I got to do yeah. with him, experience through him, learn from him. It, it's like, I have the privilege of getting to remember this person and getting those memories and even feeling enough to cry over it. Yeah. Feeling enough care, kindness, love to have something to cry over makes me thankful. Yeah. Cause like if it wasn't even, enough to make me cry over it then it's like then maybe i wasn't that close to him or maybe maybe it's as you say i'm burying all that stuff down and i'm i'm cheating myself out of feeling those things right but i want to be thankful for them instead yeah it's just even with my grandpa dying um not too long ago it was like there was a lot of sadness around me but i kind of i constantly felt happy and not in the way that I was glad he was gone, yeah. but in the way that I was thankful for almost every experience I had with my grandpa was a good one. Yeah. I was thankful for the memories that I had had with him. I was thankful that he was always kind to me and that I got to learn a lot of love and compassion through him. Yeah. And, and that was just really cool to me. So I'm like, I don't have much really to be sad about. Like he was old. He lived a long life. He showed me a lot and I'm just really thankful. It's really cool. And I'm looking over at this picture that you have of Nathan right there. And he's just like staring right at me, smiling. It's kind of cool. Yeah, dude. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah, it's meant it's it's interesting, man. I, I think like we don't often think that suffering is gonna be something that can bring us forward in any type of way. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I kind of want to dive into a couple of the, the Buddhist please things surrounding suffering. Um, cause I do find them interesting. I don't necessarily fully, you know, like I said, I don't really subscribe to any religion in it in wholeheartedness. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to just pull pieces that I like. So do they have subscriptions or? It's just like follows. Um, yeah, yeah, five bucks a month. Um, <laughs> you actually can get the Buddhism app. Um, it's the only way to get accepted into temples. I wasn't aware of uh, Buddhism subscriptions. Yeah, I know that Scientology has like a lot of high level subscriptions. <laughs> we need to stop spreading misinformation about religions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so the Buddhist Buddhist philosophy has like four different they call them the Four Noble Truths about um, suffering. 
And the first one is that all beings experience suffering via aging, via birth, via death, via being separated from something you want or not getting something you want in life, whether that's like the very complex things that we as humans deal with or down to like, you know, a bear trying to chase an animal and kill it and it runs up a tree that he can't climb, you know, whatever. That's a, that's a suffering, right? Um, that one, that one I, I kind of wholeheartedly do agree with. That one is like, in my mind, that's like a, yeah, like, you know, like every being does go through some, some suffering, like at some point or another, you will experience suffering. Um, I find that to be true. The second truth, and this is one that I actually, personally, I'm like, and it's that the origin of suffering is attachment to desires. Which I do find is interesting. Especially like, I find it to be true in certain cases. Like I think in the, in the case of like, if your desire is to not suffer, <laughs> you will certainly create a lot of suffering. Um, but that being said, it's like, the suffering is there no matter what too. So it's like, the idea that there's only suffering as an origin of the desires yeah, I feel like there's there's a little bit of it. The third truth is that the cessation of suffering is attainable. That's what they call nirvana. <clears throat> this this omega state that one reaches. And I think in some cases it's reached through like multiple reincarnations. And then hopefully once learning the lessons that you need to learn, you then reach nirvana. Which I think because suffering is is a part of living, nirvana means you are no longer in the cycle of living and dying. Um, reaching nirvana means you're out, you're outy, you're gone, you're transcendent, or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly it. Yep. And then the fourth truth actually just has to do with the path to the cessation of suffering, mm -hmm. which they have a name for called the Eightfold Path. Yeah, I... I I definitely just think the first one is like a a truth in general. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just makes sense. It's more like a recognition or a, an acknowledgement that um, we are all going to deal with suffering in some form as living beings. It's just just the nature of reality. So I do like that one. I also do like I like some of the. Some of the thought around being attached to desires and being really, really emotionally invested in certain outcomes or certain things happening. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, say you can be stoked for the potential to get promoted at your job or something. And you can be stoked or you can be like, really, really like, oh my God, everything's riding on this. Mm-hmm. And then you don't get the promotion. And it's like, if you're just stoked, you're probably just bummed. Right. But then if everything's riding on it, and it's like this, this intense and very, very serious attachment that you're like, this outcome, I need this outcome. Mm -hmm. I need it to happen this specific way. Then you're li like liable to suffer much more mm -hmm. when it doesn't go that way. Which I, I do find kind of an interesting point to pull out of that um, third or second or third noble truth that was in there. Right. Because um, I have seen that within myself. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And and definitely plenty around me and friends and yeah. whatnot, right? Like, so that one I think is really interesting. I, yeah. Same concept. Don't put all your eggs in one basket type yeah. of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. And for me, it's, it's a lot of like, expect the worst, hope for the best type of thing where, you know, if you put all of what you are into one decision or one outcome, it's like, then you're losing all of what you are. Yeah. 
you know, it's essentially betting everything. Yeah. And and I'm a as I've said before, a strong believer in in that one percent chance of something going right. Yeah. Like I wanna look for that. Yeah. And it's what makes the best animes. Yeah. And that also is similar to because like within the within this all these noble truths in Buddhism and, and whatnot, there is you know, subcategories and stuff too. Yes. And so within suffering, there's like four subcategories and one of them is suffering due to change. A, a lot of like what we're talking about here sort of, but even in joyful experiences, they're impermanent, you know? And the suffering can be had after the fleeting moment of happiness and joy is gone because yeah. you don't have it anymore. Yeah. And you might get even more sad than you would have had you not had that joyful experience, you know? <laughs> but it, it's something that even before I had seen anything in any religions regarding it, it was like, I was always thinking like, why are people chasing happiness nonstop? Like people's main goal in life is just, oh, I want to be happy. I want to have a family. I want to have a house. I want to have a nice car. I just want to be happy. And it's like, well, happiness is not a permanent state. Yeah. I, I never understood. It's fleeting emotion. It's just like anger. It's like it's like your main goal in life is that you want to be angry. Mm. It's like some people actually pull it off pretty well, some though. You, some people achieve it. But that being said, you can't be angry all the time. You can't be happy all the time. You can't be sad all the time. There are people who are very good at being those things yeah. quite often, but it's never permanent. Yeah. And and just recognizing, and, and that's why I, a lot of the time I try to remind myself to enjoy whatever emo emotion I'm feeling at the time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be always a good time, but just to appreciate the fact that I will have different emotions in my life and to to feel each one all the way and try to get to the bottom of it and understand it and and live through it and process it in the same ways that we've been talking about processing other things and and different life events it there's the the little character that i draw you know the little one-eyed man and i love that drawing. from the early start of me drawing this dude i'd always drawn him crying always yeah and people would ask me they're like well why is he always crying and for me, it was like, he's always crying because crying is the outcome of any feeling if you feel it strong enough, you know? Like, you get angry enough, you cry. You get sad enough, you cry. Oh, yeah. You get happy enough, you cry. Yeah. Like, every path leads to tears, whether they're good or bad. Yeah. And for me... I wanted that to be a part of my art because it's just, for me, I need to have some sort of emotional attachment and he can be happy giving somebody flowers and crying and he can also just be like staring at a flower dying in his hand and like a reflection of of life and death and crying over, you know, the loss and the sadness. Yeah. Um, and the rebirth. And it was always a cool concept to me. Art, really Talk cool. That. Yeah. That actually leads me into uh, one of the things that came up. Um, actually, this is going to be a double. It's going to be a double thing. Double header. Let's go. Double header. Um, and I, I like this one because I've actually heard it referenced many times just in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think like in popular culture. Um, but the idea that one, that those who suffer a lot tend to be very empathetic and and there's a people tie a relation right between the suffering and the empathy that they have right um i want i find that very interesting that it's a common saying for one um i do also kind of feel like i tend to find that that's true but not always not always right i i think it again going back to actually suffering through the things that you're dealing with 
versus the type of suffering that comes from avoiding these things that you're dealing with and not suffering through the emotion and going through the emotional processing necessary to, to um, you know, make your box bigger type of deal. Um, yeah, that I find very interesting in general. And, and then another, the other header, the second part is that suffering also tends to create um, amazing art and amazing expression and lead to the, the creation of amazing art. And, you know, people kind of reference like Van Gogh, like, you know, this man who was suffering throughout his whole fucking life pretty much. And then in death and sometime after still is an icon of, of artistic expression and constantly referenced. And, um, I, I almost want to say, uh, you know, put up on a pedestal as like, Look at look at how much work this this person did. Look at what they suffered through and still produced, um, et cetera, et cetera. Right? I think that there's there's been a lot of reasons that um, him and multiple other artists, I think, who who also had suffering as a great part of their life. I think that um, a lot of them have been glorified in certain ways and. And sometimes because of their suffering, right? Like sometimes they're like, oh, wow, look at these things that they've done. Um, even with all the suffering and everything that they went through, they were still doing these amazing things and whatnot, right? Um, I found that as an interesting concept that suffering leads to great expression. And, uh, and I think that it definitely can be true. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say that like amazing expression needs to come through suffering but it certainly helps i think but no matter with what with what you're trying to express yeah um even if you're trying to express how great something feels to be able to contrast that with how terrible something else felt and the suffering and then and like being able to contrast the the feeling of suffering from something else and compare it with this thing that you're trying to you're really trying to convey how great this other thing is. Like, yeah, any of your experiences suffering from the opposing idea of whatever it is you're trying to convey, the opposing thing, whatever the suffering was, that's gonna help you define and really convey how great the thing is that you're trying to, trying to display, right? Like, That's why we have anecdotes. Yeah. That's why we have a lot of things. And that's also why when you're trying to help someone maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, you always relate things that you've been through a lot of the time. And taking those relations and being like, well, this is kind of where I started. And this is where I see that we have some relation. And this is what I learned. And obviously you can't just like hear what I say and then learn that just because I said it. You have your own path to like process, but this is where the similarities start. And just giving them, you know, some insight into how you dealt with things can really put them on the right path to start processing. And it's really cool. Some of the, some of the stuff you brought up, it reminds me of just writing, like, you know, different writing classes that I've taken and how every story is like structured in some way, right? You know, it's short story, long story, whatever it is. Right. It's all yeah. structured towards like, okay, what suffering does this character go through and how do they overcome it? What obstacles do they face? Right. And a lot of the greatest stories are just massive stories of suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of the most influential people in the world, if not all of them, are either people who cause the most suffering or people <laughs> who have been through the most suffering. And every story like that, it's like, yeah. okay, well, what did they do? How did they process the suffering? Yeah. And it's something that even in this moment is insightful to me that I'm just kind of coming through. It's like, I love learning through our conversations, man. It's, it's like, okay, how am I going to approach suffering and how am I going to come out the other side learning something and gaining something 
and moving forward, do I want to <coughs> take it and be worse or do I want to take it and be better? And, and just like you were saying the other day, how can you look at a path and be like, what are all the ways to not follow this path? What are all the ways to not get there? I'm like, okay, if I don't want to learn through my suffering, I'm just going to like take it, dwell on it, and then shove it at other people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Really, really cool concept. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I, I, I feel you on the learning through conversation as well. Like, that's something that I, I really love and I find that I don't know. It feels like maybe that's taken for granted as a, a method of learning um, because not everybody really knows how to conversate with themselves and sit down and really talk something out with themselves and come to a conclusion, um, which I find is kind of interesting. I, you know, but it's it's nobody's fault. It's like we're not really taught how to have a conversation with ourselves and how to, how to kind of dig within ourselves and actually find answers. And I think that's one of the things that like therapists can do, right? Like, I was just going to say therapy. Yeah. 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 That's one of the things that they can do is like really help you essentially learn how to do that. But also they can just be that voice that like, instead of you asking yourself questions, they are, they already know the questions that are like good to be asking. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they, they help you find the answers and then hopefully you can also pick up their questioning method yeah and and kind of adopt it exactly. if, if you want you know and you can you can take that from therapy too and use it on yourself mm -hmm. um but it's really like it's really really interesting um but yeah I, I, that whole like idea that or not idea but just the in stories and the amount of suffering that it's usually like circled around mm -hmm. some form of suffering um it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I kind of was thinking about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was totally. like, oh shit, man. Like all the characters in that just constant. It's all suffering. It's all so much suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really good. And even at the and you very end, yeah. there's suffering because Frodo's leaving. Spoiler. Spoiler. <sighs> Spoiler. If you haven't watched Lord of the Rings by now or read the books, like I truly apologize and yep. it's not too late. It's not too late. I don't think we ruined it for you. Yeah, honestly, me saying that, you'll probably forget yeah. what I said. And like, you're I like, already where, forgot. how is he leaving what? Yeah. You don't know. No idea. Right? I don't know how I was feeling when you said that. Yeah. I'm sure it'll get triggered again, but. I'm suffering, <laughs> though. That's, what I, that's for sure. <laughs> I know I'm suffering. Yeah, man. No, uh, a funny like way to simple down a therapist to me is they're pretty much just a person who creates methods to help you talk to yourself. Nice. And in so many ways, to me, that's that's true. And I wanted to be a therapist for a while. And yeah. then I realized that legally, you have to go through a lot. You have to do a lot of schooling, take a lot of classes, and you have to continue to educate yourself yeah. year after year to keep your license and stuff like that. And That's cool. it's a, it's a lot of hard work and that kind of steered me away. Yeah. Not necessarily cause I don't want to do the hard work, but like between keeping myself emotionally available for other people and trying to keep up on all of these things, I feel like I would get burnt out. Yeah. And, and that's just something I recognize in myself. I, I prefer to like help my friends and be a sounding board for them yeah. and helping them maybe ask questions to where they can talk to themselves better. Plus you have other ambitions. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, at least one, at least one like podcast. <laughs> I actually had a, a good idea that my cousin brought up to me um, last night. We are at, I actually don't even know. I can't tell on here. I think we're getting close. But um, had a funny idea that my cousin brought up to me last night. And he was saying that this band Panchico, I think, or Panchinko, they got popular because some guy in, I think, the UK or something found a CD at a store 
bought it. It had never been uploaded online or anything like that. He couldn't really find any information about them whatsoever, but he really liked the music. So he ripped it, put it online, and it developed a fan base. Like it got thrown around through, you know, different download sites and whatnot, eventually made its way to YouTube, <clears throat> had a huge like Facebook following, and people were doing all sorts of digging, trying to find the artists for this album. And eventually they found a dude that they thought was the lead singer or whatever and messaged him on Facebook. And they're like, hey, are you the lead singer of, of this band? And they heard back from him. He's like, yeah. And then they pretty much, they, they took their thunder and they started making more music. And now they're like actually just a thing. So my idea finish my album, burn like 50 CDs, just drop them off in random stores, and then just wait 10 years. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, grab my coffee, I go sit on the toilet, yeah. I open up Facebook on my phone looking for that message. And somebody's like, like hey. hey, are you this person? I don't see the message. I head back to bed, wait till the next day. Yeah. You don't do anything else. You no. just wake yeah. up, you just get up to poop. That's my next ambition. Who knows where you're getting all those poop from if you're not doing anything else. Fertilizing my soil. Good little farmer. Being a good little farmer. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope at some point through listening to this, we alleviated some suffering. I hope you feel better. Same. I feel better. I feel really good today. This is like my weekly therapy. I'm still missing some wires. Peace. 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 Peace.